As we are concluding, or near concluding, our study through the book of Romans, we come this morning to Romans 16, verses 17 to 20. If you are uh, <clears throat> paying close attention to our uh, study through the book of Romans, you may uh, wonder why we are jumping from uh, the end of Romans 15 to Romans 16, verse 17. What about Romans 16, verses 1 through 16? And uh, under different circumstances, I would certainly preach them. Uh, every, every word of Scripture is, is preachable. Um, these are, so in Romans 16, Paul is uh, giving personal greetings to a whole bunch of people. And like I said, if I didn't only have probably three Sundays left, I would... I would gladly uh, preach on them, but I'm, I'm not going to for this Sunday with a limited time. Um, I will just say this about those verses. Um, it's, it's interesting to me. They're, they're, I would encourage you to, to read them because on the surface, it just looks like a bunch of, of greetings, but there's, there's uh, stuff to be gleaned and, and theological truths to be gleaned in those verses as well. And uh, it's, it's interesting. You see the importance of of fellowship, the importance of, of the body of Christ. Uh, you see the, the value of, of women uh, in, in Paul's ministry. There's a, a number of women who are highlighted throughout these uh, personal greetings. Um, you see d different social statuses and different, different uh, uh, you know, just uh, Paul's valuing the body of Christ across all, a whole wide range of, of, uh, of positions. And so it just it really highlights sort of that horizontal, beautiful gift of, of fellowship within the body of Christ. And uh, so we're going to uh, pick up then at verse 17. I invite you to bow with me as you ask for the Spirit's anointing on his word. Lord God, we come before your throne this morning. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, that the same Spirit that inspired these words, that gave breath and life to these words, and now stir our hearts, O Lord, to receive them. And may our hearts and our lives be transformed and changed according to your word, O Lord, in a way that would be for our good and for your glory. So, Lord, do your work in us. Speak to us, Lord, that, that we might bear fruit of transformation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So where we're going uh, the next three Sundays, this Sunday I'm reading, uh, we'll cover verses 17 to 20, and then uh, next Sunday we'll look at the closing doxology, verses 25 to 27, and uh, the, fall, the last Sunday, my last Sunday here, November 19, I have no idea yet. I, I will preach whatever God lays on my heart, I guess, to preach. I wanted to keep that Sunday open, so that's, that's where we're headed. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, Romans 16. Verses 17 to 20. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You may be seated. The Bible is uh, clear that until Christ returns, believers will have to contend with evil. The world is not yet as it should be, which is why the Apostle Peter urges believers to be alert and of sober mind because he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So resist him, Peter says, standing firm in the faith. In his letter to the Ephesians, uh, Paul says to believers to be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every, every opportunity because the days are evil. We, we live in the, the tension between the already and, and the not yet. The, the kingdom of Christ has already come, but it's not yet fully realized. And so we continue to contend with the, the evil that remains in the world. And it's this, this reality of, of, of evil and contending with evil that, that prompts Paul to write our text this morning. So how are we as Christians to, to live in light of the, the evil influences around us? How are we as Christians to live in the face of evil? And Paul tells us three things in these verses. He gives us a word of warning and then a word of advice and a word of hope. So he begins with a word of warning about evil within the church. He tells us to watch out for and stay away from divisive heretics. He says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Now, we have to be clear here that Paul is not talking uh, here about fellow believers who have different standards of conscience, right? We saw in chapters 14 to 15 how Paul urged believers who, who disagree on matters of conscience to maintain unity and fellowship together. He's also not talking about fellow believers who, who, who disagree on those weightier issues that are still within the confines of sound, of, of sound doctrine and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The language that Paul uses to describe these people goes, goes beyond the bounds of any kind of orthodox doctrine. And I would also say that Paul is not talking here about mere skeptics or, or doubters or those who are wrestling with deep questions about the Christian faith. When we consider Paul's descriptions of these people, we see that he is talking about, we can identify them this way, he's talking about divisive heretics and false teachers. So these are people who are actively opposed to the core doctrines and teachings of the gospel and yet are having an influence in the life of the church. So notice again uh, how Paul describes, and we'll kind of unpack that, that identity as, as divisive heretics and false teachers. So, so Paul says, I urge you to watch out for those who cause divisions. And, and the word that Paul uses means to divide into opposing groups or to cause, to cause people to think of each other as enemies. That's, that's the, at the heart of what that word means. And then Paul further describes them as, as those who put obstacles in your way. And that word obstacles is a translation of the Greek word that we've seen a, a fair amount before, the Greek word scandalon, from which we get the English word scandal. 
But the basic meaning of that word is, is it, it's a trap or a snare. And often throughout the New Testament, it's used figuratively as that which causes people to stumble in their faith or that which causes people to, to fall into damnation. So it's a very strong, uh, very strong uh, word. So it, you know, often it's translated as stumbling block, but it's more than just you know, tripping people up. It's tripping and, and stumbling to the point of, of uh, damnation. So these are enemies who are actively opposed to our Christian faith and trying to, to trip us up to the point that we fall away from the faith that we profess. And Paul goes on to say that they present things that are contrary to the teaching, and the word teaching, I think a better translation is, is doctrine, uh, contrary to the doctrine you have learned. At the heart of the matter is that these people are opposed to the core doctrines of the gospel, and they're leading people to destruction with their false teaching. Paul says that such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They may profess to be servants of Christ. They, they may have the appearance of following Christ. They, they, may, they may say all the right things. They may know all the right words, all the right lingo, and they go through all the right motions. But in their hearts, they are idolaters. They are servants of their own self-indulgent desires. And finally, Paul says that by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. They, again, they are false teachers. They, they are actively trying to lure believers into their way of thinking. They are deceivers. And so whether they know it or not, they are in league with, with Satan, who is the great deceiver and the father of lies. So when he put all these clues together, we get a picture of the kind of people that Paul is, is warning us about. They, they are divisive heretics and false teachers who are trying to seduce believers in, uh, away from biblical truth and away from the core teachings of the gospel. And so we see in these words of Paul how important it is to guard sound doctrine. We, 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 see, we, we see how much doctrine matters. Uh, you know, heresies and, and uh, her, uh, uh, heretics and false teachers don't usually come dressed in the garb of evil, right? They, they don't come sort of these flashing neon lights to say, hey, a heretic coming, heretic, you know, in the room. No, they, they usually come with the appearance of, of mature and enlightened Christians. They come as Satan himself did, masquerading as angels of light. They come, like Paul says, with smooth talk and persuasive arguments. They, they come uh, with, with all the right rhetoric. They offer a brand of Christianity that is appealing, and appealing especially to those, as Paul says, to those with naive minds, or maybe to those who are weaker in their faith, or those who, who are, are not yet, haven't grown to a point of maturity. And so they offer this, this brand of, of sort of this, this, this brand of Christianity that is very appealing. They offer, for example, they might offer a compassionate Jesus without his exclusive claims. Just, just pare him down a little bit. Let, let's present a, a more palatable. Here, here's a, a friendly Jesus that, that everybody can embrace. They offer a God who is all love and no wrath. A hope of heaven without any danger of hell, a, a discipleship without cost, a, a kingdom without repentance, a, an ethic without absolutes, and a freedom without the pursuit of holiness. And Paul's warning rings 
true for the church today. I think especially in the last several years, uh, there is no shortage, and there, there hasn't been throughout, throughout church history, but still today, there's no shortage of false teachers with persuasive speech who deceive the minds of the naive. Uh, one church website, and I won't, I won't say which one, but it's a, yeah, one, one church website boasts that it is a church with Christ at the center which sounds great, and it has a cross on the website, and it has all, you know, here's a, here, when you look at it, here is a Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, you know, Bible-based church. Great, wonderful. And then you read a little bit more, and uh, they present Christ as one among many equal paths to God. And they say how they have moved beyond the supremacy of a single belief system. We have progressed beyond that. We, 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 have, we, we present to you an, an enlightened version and a, and a new and, and better brand of Christianity. They boast that they are not tied to doctrine and not tied to creeds. And they welcome what they call a dynamic evolution of beliefs. And it becomes very clear just on the as soon as you start reading on the home page, that the Christ they follow is not the Christ of the Bible, and the gospel they embrace is a gospel contrary to the gospel Paul proclaimed. And then this is just one of the many reasons why doctrine matters. This is why we need to be vigilant in our commitment to biblical teaching. And, and by the way, one of the key things of the Reformation to be reformed is to be always reforming. And we so often get, so many people twist that and, and, and misuse it to say, well, to be reformed is to be always reforming in the light of what culture is, is, is telling us, that we can be adaptive and, and flexible and, 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 and always reforming in light of new things that we're learning from culture. No, to be reformed is to be always reforming in light of what Scripture says. That's, the, that's what, what, what it means to be reformed, is that Scripture is always our guide in, in, every, in everything. This is why it's important for the elders to evaluate everything we do and say and teach in light of what Scripture says. If we are wishy-washy in our doctrine, then we make ourselves prone to deception, and there are countless false teachers and heretics who would be glad to to dive into our naive and vulnerable states and lead us astray. Let us heed Paul's word of warning and watch out for divisive heretics and false teachers. Paul then follows this word of warning with a word of advice. He says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Now, when Paul says to be wise about what is good, the word wise in this context uh, refers to specialized knowledge or expertise. We are to be specialists in what is good. This means that we need to devote time and energy and study and attention to those, those things that are of God. We see the same idea in Philippians 4, verse 8, where Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Man, what, what wonderful verses to, to live by. Not only think about such things, but, but give yourself to those things and, and spend time in those things. 
Become experts in what is good. Learn the things of God. There are so many good things to explore and to study. Uh, you know, the, the word of God is an inexhaustible mine of treasure. We can study it every day of our, of our lives until we die, and, and there's always going to be more to mine and more to learn. And all of creation is like a book with countless pages still to be read. Be wise about what is good. And then on the other side of the equation, Paul says to be innocent about what is evil. And the word innocent, I think, is not the best translation. Uh, it's a translation of the Greek word akarios, which means literally to be, to be unmixed or to be pure or untainted. You see, Paul is, the word innocent kind of gives, gives the connotation that Paul is telling us to be, to be naive or to be uh, na- naively uninformed about evil. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not telling us to be naively unaware of evil. We, we ought to be aware of the evil around us. He is telling us instead to be experientially uninvolved with evil, to remain uncorrupted by its influence. I think Tim Challies uh, helpfully said, that there's something deep within the human heart that enjoys evil. There's something within us that is drawn toward those things that are improper or even outright vile. At times, each of us wants to see, taste, touch, or experience what God forbids. We want to watch things that glorify evil, to participate in what is off limits, to experience what God says is unfitting. In words uh, similar to Paul's, Jesus himself said that we are to be as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves. But our inclination is to be as wise as doves and as innocent as snakes. And Tim Challies says that believers are prone to acclimate to evil, especially in two realms, uh, in the realm of theology and in the realm of morality. So in the realm of theology, we we can easily develop a fascination with with doctrinal edginess or or even even heresy, sort of an inclination, an attraction towards those things that we know or maybe, you know, there's there's, pushing the edge a little bit. There's something within us that kind of likes to do that. And so we may know, for example, that a certain teacher or writer embraces doctrinal errors, but we, we follow them anyway because, well, we, we like the way they talk. We like the way they write. We, we like the way they put together an argument. And so, you know, I can just appreciate, you know, the way they do things and the way they speak and, and, their, and their persuasive arguments. And so I, I, I really I like the way they do that. I know there's some questionable things there, but I, I, I really appreciate this about them. And so we keep following and keep reading and the more we do over time, their errors become less repulsive and more attractive. The more willingly we associate with evil, the more it drags us down to its level. And so we acclimate to evil in the realm of theology. We, we also acclimate to evil in the realm of morality. We can so immerse ourselves, for example, in pop culture and entertainment that we grow numb to the evils they contain. And again, it may begin. It might begin with sort of this, this, uh, this innocence, uh, you know, kind of a desire to be culturally informed or culturally relevant. But it can so quickly turn into an appetite for more and greater degrees of evil. And as Robert Mounts said, God never intended His children to become intimate with evil, in order to communicate the gospel to those in its grasp. 
As disciples of Christ, we are to cultivate the discernment to identify what is evil and then the discipline to flee from it. Let us be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So Paul gives a word of warning and he gives a word of advice and he ends by giving us a word of hope. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The evil with which we contend is an evil that, that has an appointed end. Uh, the end of the story has already been written. Uh, the outcome is, is guaranteed. We read of Satan's demise in the book of Revelation where John says that when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations and to gather them for battle. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in those verses, and, and I'm not going to dive into them now. I did, I did a series on Revelation years and years ago. If you want to know what this text means, you can dig back into the archives and listen to that, that sermon series from ages ago. The point in, in sharing it at this point is, is simply this, that the day is coming when Satan will be crushed and every last strand of evil will vanish. When, when Paul says that God will soon crush Satan under your feet, he's drawing on two uh, specific and, and, and rather big Old Testament promises. The first is the promise of Genesis 3, verse 15. At the very moment when, when the darkness of evil was unleashed in the Garden of Eden uh, through the temptation of, of Satan as the serpent and, and, the, and the, uh, the, the fall into sin, the disobedience of, of Adam and Eve, uh, in that very moment when the darkness of evil was unleashed in the Garden of Eden, God gave a promise that it would be crushed. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This verse is sometimes called the, the proto-evangelon, the, 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 the first gospel, the promise of the gospel. Jesus is the, the promised offspring of the woman who has already disarmed Satan at the cross and who will, who will return to crush his head, to remove him forever from the face of the earth. That's the first promise from the Old Testament. The second promise is from Psalm 110, where the psalmist says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now the immediate Application of this promise was, of course, to King David. It was a, a royal enthronement psalm, and so it was a psalm celebrating uh, David's kingship. And it was a promise that God would give David victory over his enemies. But the New Testament uh, repeatedly applies this promise to Christ. In fact, this psalm is quoted more often than any other psalm in the New Testament in, in its application to Christ. Christ is the true king who has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and who will gain ultimate victory over all of his enemies. And so in the end, every last enemy of God's people will be subdued and crushed under the feet of our King of kings and Lord of lords. So Paul brings the, these two great, uh, beautiful, big Old Testament promises together in his words to the Romans. Uh, Christ has already conquered, and he is coming soon to crush Satan and to stomp every last remnant and strand of evil under his feet. John was given a vision 
of what this new existence without evil would, would be like. And he described it this way. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see, this is the defining promise by which all believers live. This is the assurance on which all believers stand. This, this promise of, of triumph over evil means that we, are, that we who are in Christ uh, should never live in fear. That there are spiritual forces of evil all around us and we are, as Peter says, to be alert and of sober mind and, and aware of, of the battles that are taking place, but, but, but never to live in fear. We're not to be afraid we don't cower and hide in a spirit of timidity. We don't question or wonder, you know, who really has more power in this, in this struggle. We stand boldly and joyfully in the promises of Christ. And we claim defiantly against the forces of evil uh, the, the authority that, that God has given us in Christ over spiritual forces of evil. We are a people of hope. And hope changes everything. When uh, Admiral Jim Stockdale was, was uh, captured in the Vietnam War, he was brought to one of the prisoner of war camps, and he was the highest ranking U.S. military official in that camp. And he was in the camp for eight years, from 1965 to 1973. And over the course of those eight years, he was tortured over 20 times. And he was stripped of his prisoner's rights, and he was, he was given no release date. He was repeatedly told by his captors that he would never survive, that he would never get out, that he would never see his family again. And when he was finally released after those eight years, he walked with a limp and bore the, dis, dis, the disfiguring scars of his torture. And he was interviewed by Jim Collins, who asked him how he was able to endure such evil. You know, how could he last those eight years dealing with the uncertainty of his fate and dealing with, with the brutality of his, of his captors and all the demoralizing and all the, the constant messages, you're never going to get out of here, you're never going to leave here, you're, you're going to die in here, you're never going to see your family again, over and over, day in and day out. How did he possibly endure all of that? And the old admiral said, I was able to endure because I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. And, and this is how we as believers live in the face of evil. We are a people of unshakable hope because we know the end of the story. We know that Christ conquers and, and every last strand of evil will be stomped under his feet. And we know that we who are in Christ are, are more than conquerors with him. This is why it's interesting wording that Paul chooses. I don't know if he picked up on that or not. But when, when Paul says the God of peace will crush Satan under, under our feet. So it's Christ who conquers, but he conquers on our behalf. And so every enemy that Christ stomps is placed under our feet, even though he is the one who conquers. And so we live in this unshakable hope of triumph over evil. The former... Bishop Desmond Tutu 
said kind of the same thing when he was asked how he could remain optimistic in, in light of all the evil he had seen and all the evil that he had endured. How can you remain optimistic? And he, and he said, he said, I'm not optimistic, I'm, I'm hopeful. He said, I'm a prisoner of hope through faith in Christ, for I know how the story ends. May we live boldly and joyfully and triumphantly as prisoners of hope, for we know how the story ends. The spiritual forces of evil have no claim on us. The strong hand of Satan has no grip on us. We stand as victors in Christ, our conquering king. In the famous words of Martin Luther, which we are about to sing, and though, his, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That is the hope and the assurance with which we live. So how do we as Christians live in light of the evil influences around us? Well, Paul gives us in these verses a word of warning, a word of advice, and a word of hope. And the word of warning is to watch out for divisive heretics. The word of advice is to be experts in what is good and, and to be untainted by evil. And the word of hope is that we live as those who know how the story ends. The God of peace will soon crush Satan and every thread of evil under our feet. So let us live in that hope to the glory of our King. Let's bow together. Lord God, we praise you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord, that as Paul said back in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us that assurance and, and breathe more deeply into us, O oh Lord, that, that hope that we have in the face of evil. Lord, give us diligence and vigilance in your word to be on guard against even minor uh, false teachings and errors and, and ways that, that people are straying from your word. Give us a renewed devotion to walk in it and to not stray to the left or to the right. And give us, O oh Lord, a renewed commitment to be experts in what is good, to devote ourselves to the, the things that are of God, the things that we find in your word and things that we find in the beauty of your creation and to remain unmixed, untainted by evil. And give us, O oh Lord, a renewed and a deepened hope and a deepened assurance in the face of evil influences and spiritual forces of evil all around us, O oh Lord. Give us a renewed and deepened hope that we stand in the victory of Christ. We pray this, O oh Lord in the strong and mighty and triumphant and victorious risen name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to close our worship with a song of victory.